Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Hey, good morning, everybody. Hey, welcome to the Vineyard. If you're new here, thanks for coming this morning. My name is Adam. I'm the pastor, and uh, we're really happy that you're here. If you're an old-timer, man, high fives. Really happy you still come back. It's good to have new and old alike in the room this morning. Hey, uh, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to do a little one-off sermon. We're not going to be in a series today. We're going to start a new series next week. Next week, we're going to start something new. So, in fact... If you want to pregame for next week, we're going to do seven weeks in the book of Revelation. There are seven sermons that Jesus, seven messages that Jesus gives to seven different churches in the book of Revelation. We're going to unpack all of them for seven weeks. But that's not what we're doing today. Today I want to talk to you uh, out of the book of Acts. And I'm going to, talk, I'm going to call this message Temple and Table. Um, in my own like personal life right now, I'm reading through the book of Acts really slowly, and a few months ago, I read something. I've just been thinking about something, and I want to talk about that today. And before we get into the actual text this morning, uh, I just want to talk about people for a second. Uh, have you noticed that people are like, like if you think about human beings all over the world, uh, we're wildly diverse, right? Like if you think about all the cultures that exist in the world, and, and like, you know, people in one area of the planet are living sometimes radically different lives than people in another area. And even sometimes people here in Kentucky are living radically different lives, you know? I mean, I, there are like microcultures, and I've, I've just been thinking about people a lot, and it's, it's fascinating. Um, in fact, a few months ago, I was at home with the kids, and we started watching this, this, uh, this documentary series called uh, Planet Earth Humans. Anybody here seen that? Okay, so the first episode we watched was this episode about uh, people who live in like mountain regions and the very beginning of the first episode was this father and son and they were essentially living in some vast area of Nepal it's like one of these little nomadic tribes and it was a father and a son and here's basically what had to happen essentially in order to become a man the son who was like 16 had to go out and capture his own golden eagle alone. I mean, his father went with him, but he had to capture this eagle by himself. And then he had to train the eagle. And then, then the eagle that he caught and trained had to make a kill. And if he were able to catch an eagle, train the eagle, and if that eagle were able to make a kill, then that young man got welcomed into the family and then into the greater community as a man and not a boy. This is like your transition. So we watched this. It's unbelievable. They go into a mountain on little ponies, and this kid climbs down. This father lowers his son on a rope hundreds of feet down to catch this golden eagle. I mean, if the kid falls out of the rope, he's dead, you know? Can you imagine that trip back home? Anyway, that doesn't happen. He catches the eagle, and, you know, the end of the episode is, is that this eagle flies out of this giant mountain in Nepal somewhere and catches a fox and kills it and now the boy is a man right and I'm watching this with all my kids and we're I mean I look around the room and all of us are like this you know 
And as soon as that episode is over, my oldest son, River, looks at me and he says, Dad, everyone we know is a baby. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's like, it was like, not only has that young man become a man, like, no one we know is a man. <laughs> everyone is a baby. And I have to agree, you know? Cultures are so, so different. We are not nomadic tribes living somewhere in the high Nepalese mountains, catching foxes with golden eagles. When I think about that, it makes me a little bummed. <laughs> anyway, people are really different, and that's really beautiful. But um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but for all of our differences, we're also tremendously similar. People, all the people on the earth, we all share, we all share the same biology. We all share the same form. And we all live on the same planet. And maybe there's life somewhere else out in the cosmos. I'm, I'm actually hoping there is. I'll just tell you, I hope there is. I think maybe it's possible, right? However, but for, for all that we know, we're it, right? This is it. And so we share the same biology, we share the same form, and we share the same place in the cosmos. And then if we become a little more specific in our view, uh, there are some things that pretty much everybody all over the world loves. Did you know there are things that all people love? Yeah. Uh, can you think of some of them? Uh, breathing. All people love breathing. What? What? Number one on my list, music. All people love music. Now listen, I've heard a few people tell me they don't like music, and we can all agree in this room that those people are weirdos. But people, people love music, and all over the world, people love music. Not only that, but all over the world, people uh, make music, and people from all over the world sing songs, uh, and even people who are not singers sing songs. Like, like my youngest son, Rowan, he's always going around the house singing Drake, you know? Um, here's another thing that people love. People love music. Here's another thing people love. People love people. And I know, I know that some people say they don't love people. There's always that person standing around, you know? It's interesting that they love to declare that to other people. I think, I think that those people should be forced to take that opinion to the forest. Anyway, everybody loves people. Um, and that's because we have a deep need for community. People love people. People love community. Uh, people love family. People love friends. And if you want to really deform or punish a person in their soul, all you have to do is isolate them for a while. Because loneliness is like a disease. Like There's a reason why uh, anytime a government or some like crazy group wants to torture someone, like the one, the one trump card in, in every one of those groups' pockets is isolation. That breaks a person deeper and, and more profoundly than, than anything else. In fact, uh, I was recently reading a book uh, by a guy named Sebastian Younger. He's a, he's a uh, New York Times guy. Uh, he's a war journalist, and he wrote a book called Tribe. And here's, here's basically the thesis of the whole book. Um, it's that people would rather face uh, war and disease and hardship together than they would uh, living a comfortable, uh, prosperous, 
isolated life without challenge or reward. It's really interesting. He shows over and over in the book how people who have made multiple tours of duty to Afghanistan and Iraq and all the other wars, uh, that when those guys come home from that intimate group, that oftentimes the immediate next season of their life is a deep, deep depression, even though they're perfectly safe and they have all the food they need. What they, what they don't have anymore is the sense of camaraderie and that we're in this together and that I've got someone's back and that someone's got my back. That is the most profoundly human thing that we've got. People love people. You, you want to you break someone down? Isolate them. Uh, here's another thing that people love. Uh, people love purpose. Another word for that is work. Now, I know it's common to meet people who, who, who don't want to work or even want to say they don't like work or even seem to avoid work. But here's what I've come to find out. Uh, those people, are, are, they're, they're deeply confused because here's what they think. They think they can have purpose without work, but it's actually not possible. I've seen it too many times. Uh, depression and lack of employment go hand in hand. Um, depression and lack of, uh, lack of employment go hand in hand, uh, especially in men. Um, so anytime I'm hanging out with a, with a guy, if he's deeply depressed, my first, my first question is, do you have a job? Uh, if that person doesn't have a job, my only advice to them uh, with regard to their depression is, number one, get a job. Do anything. It doesn't even matter what it is. Do anything. All of your depression might not go away, but a lot of it will. A lot of it will just, just by having a job. You need a reason for being. And we all have that thing we're hoping to do, and we all have that thing we're hoping to be. And it's probably going to make you sweat just a little bit. Um, here's another thing that people love. Um, people love food. Right? Like, this is universally true. People love food. Everybody loves to eat. Um, Heather and I, we went out a couple nights ago for our 19th wedding anniversary. Wow. You're thinking, how can a man this young be married that old? <laughs> well, we got married very young. We were babies. And um, if you saw the picture, you know what I'm talking about. But Heather and I went out for our 19th wedding anniversary a couple evenings ago, and uh, we went to Louisville and stayed the night. Uh, we went to four different restaurants. Uh, like, this is what we did. We decided that the only thing we wanted to do was to be together and to eat yummy things, right? And so rather than going to one place, we went to four. So we got an Uber, and we went to one place, and then we went to the next, and then we went to the next, and we went to the next. And let me just tell you, if you don't have a group of people that you're going out to dinner with, if it's just like you and your best, that's the most fun way to have dinner in a big city. Don't go to some place and just sit down for an hour or two. Just bounce, you know, and then have somebody take you, you know, and just have something delicious everywhere. That is the most, like, soul-satisfying thing that I can think of. And I hope you noticed that in this little story I told you that it's a combination of togetherness and food, right? Amazing. Okay. Well, you might be thinking at this point, what does this have to do with anything? Well, here's what I want you to notice. I want you to notice that the more common something is, or the more that something is the sort of thing that pretty much everyone loves, uh, the more that something is essential to our existence, there seems to be overlap. So the more that there's something that's universally loved, that's probably because it's essential to our existence, right? So people love breathing, and people love sex, and people love togetherness, and people love 
food and people love music. And it, it's kind of funny because some of this is obvious. Like you need food and you need air and you need sex to keep life going. So we all, we all sort of agree on those. But what's less obvious is that some of the other parts might also be essential. Things like music and friends and food and purpose. These are going to be the things that keep you alive. Now, I can't talk about all these things today. So I just want to pick up one little thing that I've been thinking about this week. So if you want to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, I'm going to read you a really famous piece of scripture here. And I'm going to not talk about some of the things that are often talked about in this passage. I just want to pick up one little thing. It goes like this. This is after like the Holy Spirit has come and Peter is in the middle of preaching a sermon. This is afterwards. It says this, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over all of them. And the apostles, the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and all their possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God, enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Famous scripture. Um, there's a lot in this little moment that we're actually not going to dig into, so I just want to highlight one thing. Uh, and here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that all the togetherness and all the sharing and all the food are at the center of this passage. Have you ever noticed that? Like this is a, can we put that passage back up? Because it's just, let's just leave it up for a little while. Have you noticed that like this is a really famous piece of scripture and it's about all kinds of stuff. There's like miracles in there and there's like gathering, there's like people who are being saved. But the thing that's sort of at the center of it is togetherness and then Sharing meals. Have you ever noticed that? It's really important. So this is the passage about the early church. And so there's a sense in which this is one picture of what it looks like to be a Christian community. And I hope you notice that at the center of Christian community, there's togetherness and sharing food. And, and maybe that's something we can like lean into. I want to share three ideas with you this morning out of this passage. And the first idea is this. It's the idea of symbiosis. Uh, symbiosis is a, is a word that means like two things, like maybe two organisms that have a relationship and the relationship is mutually beneficial, right? It's symbiotic. So like one organism is doing something for another organism, but it ends up actually becoming self-serving. And there's a lot of symbiosis in this passage. And the symbiosis is between like gathered church, what we're doing here, and then scattered church, like church in the home. Uh, church at the temple and then church at the table. That's the symbiosis. And we see that the believers met regularly in the temple and then they also met at home. It was like a rhythm. And um, so there's this sense in which one of the things that we're going to need in order for this community to be what God is calling it to be is we need a gathered church and we need a scattered church. Uh, we need a church that is temple, and we need a church that is table. Uh, part of what we're seeing in this passage is that to be a Christian isn't just something that happens here in this building. And by the way, what happens here in this building is really important. Like that thing we did for 30 minutes at the front, 
How many of you understand that's like formational and like we need it, you know? How many of you understand that God doesn't really need worship? Like God's not a narcissist. Have you ever, you know, considered that? God isn't a narcissist. He doesn't have low self-esteem and he doesn't need a billion, he doesn't need a billion Christians to gather at various times on Sunday around the world and tell him that he's good. Uh, in fact, if no one did that, he wouldn't be any less good and he wouldn't be any less sure of who he is, right? So if that's true, and I, and I believe it is, then part of what this means is that worship is for us. But it's not for us in the sense that, like, you know, we worship so that we can, like, really start winning. It's for us in the sense that, that worship is it is, that, it is that unifying and common collective, but it's more than that. It is, it is that we are a group of people who is waking up to the core realities of life, which are there is a God in heaven and he's good, right? Like, so if we miss that, then we've missed the rest of life, you know? And, and not only that, but worship is an exchange. It isn't just some stuff that we sing to God. It's that we have these waiting moments. And it's one of the reasons here at the Vineyard, like sometimes worship is maybe different than you've seen in other places or you experienced however you grew up. Like they'll have, we'll have moments of waiting. Have you ever noticed that sometimes here we just let it hang? Why? Why? Because worship is something that we, that we sing to God, but then there's this amazing passage in the Old Testament where it says that God sings over his people with, with love and adoration. So we, there should be some sort of an exchange, right? So there's, there's a reason to gather, you know? It's really important. But a church that is only 75 minutes on Sundays is dead, you know? A church that's a gathering here, um, but it also has to take that togetherness out into the week. And if we do that, then we're alive. And if you notice, this passage is filled with life and power. And I believe it's dynamically connected to big gatherings and then small gatherings. And I hope you notice that in both of the gatherings, there's the presence of meals and food in both places. Now, some of these would have been communion meals. It says so, like the Lord's Supper, right? But a lot of these would not have been communion meals. It's the commonness of being together. And while we're talking about communion for a moment, isn't it interesting that when Jesus was going to give his disciples like a, like a covenant meal, a way to remember him, when he was going to give them something that ties them to him forever, that he gave them a meal and not a document? You know? Isn't that amazing? Like Christianity is not an idea. It's not an idea. Christianity is, is an embodied, it's an embodied presence. That's the reason that it's, it's bread and wine. Like uh, the difference between Christianity and many, many other religions is that Christianity is always wanting to be um, embodied, uh, enfleshed, incarnated. Uh, that's the big term. It's the reason why Jesus, who was God, became a man, like took on skin. And then when he wants to communicate that forever with his disciples, he gives bread and wine, actual substance. You know, Christianity is not being, is not being convinced of another argument. Christianity is living into a new way of being, you know, and it's substantive. You know, uh, part of our gathering here always has to be substantive. Uh, and then our life, it has to be substantive. Like spirit wants to touch our actual life. Uh, Richard Rohr would say, um, uh, Richard Rohr would say that spirit is not opposed to matter, you know. And this is, this is part, of the, part of the dynamic that God is showing us. But Christianity is a meal and it's, it's not just unembodied intellectual ideas. It's, it's actual shared and it has to be shared with our neighbors and friends. That's what it means to be the church. 
So first idea, symbiosis. What happens here? It's got to happen in our homes. And what happens in our homes is informing what happens here. And if we do one or the other, it's not enough. It's got to be both and. An alive church that has uh, miracles and people being added to the fellowship is something that's happening here, but also at your house. Not somebody else's house, your house. Say this with me, my house, my house. Yeah, that's it. Okay, second idea I want to share with you is uh, one of preparation. Um, One way to think about church is this. Uh, Church is the place where we come to worship God and to be united with believers, and it's the place where we practice and become prepared to do the stuff in the rest of our lives. Yeah, this is, this is part of what church is. It's like, it's like getting muscle memory, you know? Anybody here take hitting lessons with David Bradstreet? Anybody take their kids to get hitting lessons with David Bradstreet? You know what 90% of what David is trying to get your kid to do? Get proper muscle memory, you know? And that's what church is. Church is like going over to David's house and letting him fix you up and get your body in the right position so that you can hit the ball when it counts, you know? And that's really what's happening here. God's wanting to get our hearts awake. God's wanting to, to get our brains awake and to get our eyes open. You know, uh, One of the things that, that God wants to do is he wants you to see people in your life. And that could start here. You know? he, wants to w- he wants to wake you up to all kinds of different people. First here and then out there. What you get in the temple is what you take to the table. That's how it works. You know, there's an aspect of Christianity that's meant to be seamless and steady, same from day to day. And that's what, that's what this thing is about. Like, what happens here? Gosh, that should be Monday and Tuesday as well. So when we get together, we're learning a little muscle memory. We're becoming prepared. Here's another feature of church. Church is the gathered community, but it's the gathered community where there's always room for more. So here at the Vineyard, we've been going on for 22 years. And because of that, uh, there's a core here. Uh, there's even a few people who have been here since the very beginning. You know? There, there are people who were here on the first Sunday of the Vineyard, and 22 years later, they're still here. There are other people who have been here for over a decade. Uh, some of us have been here for so many years. And because of that, this church has a core. But any real church is not just defined by its core. A real church is not a, a group that says, um, us and no more. You know? A real church is a core, and you can be a part of it. And a real church is the place where there's always room for one more person. Right? Yeah. So there's new people here. And some of you maybe are here for the very first time this morning. And man, we're really glad about that. But that's not where it ends. Similarly, a Christian home is a place where there's a core. There's like a family who lives there, right? But a Christian home always has room for one more around the table. You know? Uh, this could be a, a little picture to put in your brain. Imagine your family at your dinner table, okay? And imagine that every single night that your family gathers at the dinner table, imagine that there's always a seat that's empty, right? You know? And, and is that seat always filled? No, but imagine that it could be, Right? What if, what if rather than buying enough chairs for the family we had, we always bought two more? I think that would be the most Christian thing I could think of. You know? Yeah. It's always room for more. And that's some of the muscle memory that we're learning when we get together 
here on Sunday mornings. Sharing what we have, making a little room around our tables, and in our homes and in our lives. Okay, third idea. Third idea is this. Uh, it's the priesthood of every believer. This is sort of a jump off from my last point. But see, when this thing begins to take root in our homes, what this means is, is that we all become pastors and shepherds. Let me tell you what a weak church is. A weak church is a church with one strong leader. That's a weak church. Uh, did you know that you can build a really big church with one strong leader? Did you know that if I become more charismatic and I give us a big rah-rah speech, I could probably raise some money and we could even grow more and maybe we could get a bigger building and maybe we could grow to seven or eight hundred. I think we could do that. You know, I could, really, I could really tell you I have a vision from God. I could do all that stuff. And how many of you know that on the outside it could look it could look amazing and people would be like, man, there's something happening at the vineyard and Adam's incredible. You should like listen to his podcast, you know? <laughs> like these are the things that, right? Like we could do that. But how many of you know that to the degree that the church becomes more about me, we're dead, right? Like we're toast and it could look awesome on the outside, but what if, what if I build something that no one else can drive or steer later? Whoa. Huh? What if, what if I take us into a place that is successful, but like, what if I get hit by a bus or, or what if I just like lose it and decide I don't want to be the pastor anymore and then what happens, right? Like, what if we grew something that no one else could do? We're toast. A strong church is not one strong leader who wows everybody with amazing sermons and, and inspiration. That's not the church. A strong church is one where every single person who comes wakes up to the fact that they're called to be a priest, that they're called to be a shepherd, that they're called to be a pastor, that this thing isn't my work, this is our work, you know? And if you begin to take it into your home, guess what? I won't be there. And that's good. Like, I occasionally want to come over, right? And that's hard to invite us because we have four kids. But... How many of you know that most of the time I won't be at your home? And if you begin to extend a welcome, if you begin to bring people into your home, then you have to be the priest, you have to be the pastor, and you have to be the shepherd. And if that ever happened, like if even 40% of us here at the Vineyard ever got that into our heads and into our hearts, this church will be tremendously alive. Tremendously alive. Mm. Here's what I don't want you to hear. When I'm talking about the priesthood of every believer, or when I talk about you and I waking up to the fact that we're all pastors and shepherds, I'm not saying that everybody here has to preach a sermon, or that you even have to have a message at your dinner table. In fact, most of the time, don't do that. But what I am saying here is that, is that everyone who's following Jesus, you already have what it takes. takes for what? You already have what it takes to make your home an outpost of the kingdom of God. You know, uh, sometimes we think, oh, I don't have what it takes. That's not, that's really not true. You already have what it takes. It's already within you. Like the, the, the yeast of the kingdom is at, at work and it is expanding and it is leavening the lump of dough that you are, you know, and it is, it is, it is there's an aroma in your house and people would probably like it. You know, you already have what it takes. Let's do that. All right. 
Every one of our homes is an extension of this church. Everybody here is a priest. And one of the cool, one of the cool features of being a priest is that in the Bible, priests have direct access to God. Uh, everybody here already has direct access to God. Uh, you don't need me. I mean, there's a sense in which you need me, but there's a bigger sense in which you don't need me. You know, one of the dreams, one of the dreams of the scripture is, there's this scripture where it says, uh, there'll be a day when, when people don't teach each other anymore. And it's like, what? It means that, that, that God has so sown himself into the whole world, into all of his children, that there's no need for one man to teach another man anymore. That's the dream of the scripture. There's a sense in which you need me. But listen, I'm telling you right now, there's a, there's a bigger sense in which you do not need me. Why? Because you're a priest. You have direct access to God. He's talking to you. You don't need a word from God from me. He's already talking to you. He's already telling you what to do. He's already, he's already equipping you. Not only that, but, but we see in the New Testament that Jesus says that if you ever really, really need an answer, that the Spirit will give you what you need in the moment. You know, you don't need me. You're a priest. You have direct access to God. And you might be saying, well, what's the purpose? Like if we all have direct access to God, what's the purpose? Well, it's to serve and share the life of God with others. That's what priests do. They have direct access, but then they represent God to the people and then the people to God. And everybody's doing that, you know? That's the dream of the New Testament. Well, where do we do this? Well, we want to do it here, but then we also want to do it in your home. Well, I want to quickly tell you specifically what I've been thinking about this week. I've been thinking that it's summertime and that school's out and everybody's schedule's a little weird. Has everybody already got a weird schedule? Yeah, it's just wacky, right? Like, where do I do? When do I wake up? I don't know. Um, the kids are home. Some of us are going to be traveling and a lot of us are going to be all over the place. Probably going to be outside a little more probably going to be turning the grill on more. Um, not only that, like, there's a sense in which in the summer, like, this is, like, the, the local Sunday gathering. Uh, it's not as big, like, like, during the summer, like, people don't come to church at the vineyard as much. Like, everybody's just, like, traveling, going to places, right? In the fall and in the spring, like, we're packed to the gills. But this would be a really great time, if you're not here, to definitely take it to your home. This would be an amazing time. This would be a great time to open up our homes and have people over. And uh, let, me just, uh, let me just make a few suggestions as it relates to Christian hospitality. Can I do that? Yeah, because I think that's what's in this passage. Okay, I want to make seven suggestions. You could even write these down. They're going to be quick. Don't worry. I can be brief. Uh, my number one suggestion as it relates to Christian hospitality. Number one, you don't have to be rich and your gathering does not have to be fancy to bless people deeply. Okay? You don't have to be rich. It can bless people deeply. You don't have to be fancy. You can put it on paper plates. It can be a hot dog. People need welcomed. They need your home. You know? Like... If you bring people into your home and you put a hot dog on a paper plate, it will bless them deeply. Number two, a Christian community is about gathering with those we love and cherish and including new people. It's a good time to get to know somebody new this summer. Like, why don't you bring somebody to your house that's never been to your house? Bigger than that, why don't you bring somebody to your house that doesn't go to this church? Why don't you bring somebody to your house that doesn't go to this church and just 
like welcome them and love them with zero agenda. That'd be the Christian thing to do. All right, uh, number three. Now, this is PhD level, okay? I should have put that at number seven, but for some reason I put it at number three. This is PhD level. Uh, Jesus gives an amazing invitation in Luke chapter 14. Now, this is just for PhDs, okay? You may have to work up to this. Jesus says in Luke 14, he says, have people over who can't repay you. Jesus gives this amazing word in Luke 14. I'll just let you look at it. But he says, hey, you know what? Here's what you ought to do. If you're going to do the thing that I do, have people over who cannot repay you. And what he's talking about is, he's talking about the poor, and he's talking about having people over who could never repay us by having us over to their house. That's deeply, deeply Christian. Okay? Read that little passage, you know? There's a sense in which God is having us over and we could never repay him. Yeah. And so what do Christians do? Well, we have people over who could never repay us. That's what we do. Uh, we let our neighbors have our gas can and we tell them, don't even bring it back, you know? Yeah. Number four, a Christian gathering doesn't have to be overtly spiritual. You don't have to have a devotion. Like, open up your home, cook somebody a meal, maybe make it a new person, maybe invite somebody over who could not invite you back to their house, and you know what? You don't have to do a devotion with them. You could, you could just ask questions. Where did you come from? How did you get here? What's been significant in your life? What is, what is happening? What are you hoping for? You know? What do, what do most people misunderstand about you? That's a great question, by the way. Yeah. Uh, number five. Uh, this is the opposite of number four. Number five. Don't be afraid to speak of Jesus. Don't be afraid to speak of Jesus when you have people over. My favorite thing is to have friends around my table and then to speak of Jesus. Have you ever noticed that if you get a few people around the table and you put some food on the table, if somebody there will start talking about Jesus and then someone else talks about Jesus and then the third person talks about Jesus, then all of a sudden Jesus is with us? Have you ever experienced like... All of a sudden, everyone around the table becomes like seriously aware that the presence of God is with us. You ever had that moment? Okay, I'll tell you one. Can I tell you a weird story? Okay, this is a weird story. Some people, some people who are materialists in the room are going to be like, Adam's crazy. And maybe I am. Several years ago, we had some friends over to my house. We're sitting in my, my living room. And... Uh, it was around Christmas time. It was like that weird week between Christmas and New Year's. And we began to talk about Jesus. And we began to talk about all, basically the conversation was all the really kind things that God has done for us. Right? That was, that was essentially the theme of the conversation. Some of my very best friends were there. There's like eight of us. And while we're talking about the very kind things that God has done for us, a wind began to blow in a circle around us. The heat was not on. The air was not on. The door was not cracked. The windows were not open. A, a tangible present wind began to blow all around us, so much so that everybody there could feel it, and we all mentioned it at the same time. This breeze started blowing on us. All of a sudden, I look up. Everyone's got tears in their eyes. Why? Something about the presence of God showed up and was tangibly blowing, like Acts chapter 2 kind of stuff, like the wind of heaven was swirling around us. What is that? I don't know, but I know when you have people in your home and you share a little food and you talk about Jesus, and especially if there's a little gratitude mixed in, he will come and make himself known. You know, it's amazing. Okay, number six. 
Uh, it, would be, it would be easier for you to not do this. Uh, your house would be cleaner, and there would be fewer dishes, but your house will also have less laughter. Okay? Uh, it, it, it's actually easier not to invite people over. It, it's hard work. Um, you will have more dishes. You will make a mess. However, if you do it, there'll be more laughter. Okay? That's just something I've noticed. I've noticed that sometimes uh, there's a little sweat, sweat mixed in with laughter. That's what I've noticed. Okay, number seven, don't forget your neighbors. Why? Um, here's something I've noticed uh, in the last five years. Almost nobody knows their neighbors. Like everybody here, almost everybody here, like most of us here know pretty much everybody else who's here. And what's weird is we don't know the person next door to us. Or we don't know the person who lives behind us. This would be a great summer to make sure that we know every single one of our neighbors. And hey, why not have them over? You know, why not have them over? Don't forget your neighbors. So here's my uh, pastoral word to you this morning. Uh, would you open up your home this summer? Would you open up your home this summer to people who are in this room? But then would you do me a huge favor and then open up your home to people who are not in this room? And then could we do, maybe, maybe some of us would be up for some PhD work and we could open up our homes to people who cannot repay us. And then maybe we would do that bravest, like almost un-American thing, and we would begin to know our neighbors again. Could we do that? Okay, that is my very, very um, low-to-the-ground, uh, unshiny, unvarnished pastoral word. Is that okay this morning? Hey, if you're on the ministry team, come on up. We want to do this. I hope you noticed that I also amended this picture. All right, if you want to stand up this morning. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.